You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Alan, welcome back to Real Faith Stories. It's really great to have you on the program again. Thanks, Brian. It's been a bit and a lot of new, fun, wild stories have happened since we've talked, so I'm looking forward to catching up with you. Yes, wild stories, man. For those that don't know you, Alan, I would love for you to share a little bit of your background, and then we're going to jump into a story about your new book, but really the overarching story behind it related to an experience you had where you actually lost your voice. Briefly, a little bit about my story. I work full-time on the team at Wild at Heart, who that John and Stacey Eldridge founded. He wrote the book Wild at Heart. They wrote Captivating Together. We go after men and women's hearts to follow the Isaiah 61 invitation, which when Jesus was asked about his ministry, he quoted this part of Isaiah that said, you know, I've come to set the captives free and to heal the brokenhearted. And that's really the ministry of Wild at Heart. And so I love what I get to do there. I'm on the podcast as the producer and co-host and work with John and Stacey on their content. And it's a beautiful experience. Like I've been with them 11 years. Before that, I was a publisher at Thomas Nelson and launched their fiction division. They're over 200 years old as far as a publishing company started internationally or overseas in the UK and are based in Nashville. But I had the honor of being with them for about 20 years in the last decade of that time, launched the fiction division and published more than 500 novels. So I'm a big lover, always have been of story, of the stories we're living, but of how to tell a better story in our writing and in what we create with novels. And so that's that was a blast. So that's a little of my background. It's kind of a weaving of story, God, and creativity. And the goal is always to help people learn fellowship with God by greater intimacy with Him. And mm-hmm. the stories we're telling, the stories we're living, been married for close to 30 years and have three children. They are in their late teens and early 20s now. So love being a husband and a dad. I've written four books and all the books deal with God and creativity. So I went from just uh, you know a publisher of other people's writings, which is amazing, to actually, after I left the publishing world, God said, now I've got a few things for you to write. And I had never thought of myself as as an author. I always thought of myself as helping authors and helping others promote and tell and create story. So that's been a, a really cool thing in the last six years to actually, for God to have said, yeah, that that was great. And now, like a coach who's been coaching other players, now you're going to actually get on the court and be a player. <laughs> and you're, you're going to be the one on the court, you know, sweating and running and doing, not just the coach telling them what to do. And so that's been awesome. Like I've loved how do you create actively with God these ideas, these stories, nonfiction and fiction. And so, yeah, that's a little of who I am. So your most recent book is entitled what, Alan? Yeah, just a few months ago, came out with a new book called The Eden Option. It's basically a premise that 
the world is unraveling, but that doesn't have to be our reality. And the reason that it doesn't have to be our reality is because it's not the reality that God has for us. He really has a true story that began in Eden. And the premise, you know, is even though Adam and Eve lost that story, they chose another direction. We can still reclaim four key traits that were relinquished in Eden because we were created for paradise. We were created for walking with God in the cool of the day. And so the book talks about what did Adam and Eve relinquish and these four specific things I believe they did relinquish. How do we get them back? Not, you know, in the coming kingdom or just for eternity, but how do we get them back today? Because God gave them to Adam and Eve to live on this earth now. So the book is an invitation into that. Mm -hmm. It's an invitation, not into the Eden of the past, but into a way of life that God established for us in Eden that was lost. And that's why I think our world today feels a lot more like Ecclesiastes than Eden, you know, kind of just, we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to get through the day. Yeah. And that was never the point. Right on. In the midst of writing this, if I understood, Alan, you had an experience with your voice. Correct. So we all go through these moments where we know something bigger than us in that moment is really happening. This was before I even knew I was going to write this book because it was the catalyst for what the book would be. But I had been speaking to a lot of groups about just how to step into this more full life with God and use their gifting, their dreams, their calling as a doorway into greater intimacy with God. So a bunch of back-to-back events. After those, for the first time ever in my life, I started losing my voice. What I realized is I had taxed it, overused it, like a pastor might or a singer might, you know, if they're touring. And so my voice, just kind of the vocal cord said, no, we're done. And I had like a hoarse whisper, but that was about it. And I thought, oh, well, you know, a few days later, it'll come back. Like it, yeah. it's like a muscle that's overstrained. I just won't use it very much and it'll come back. But, you know, I didn't talk for several days. Nothing changed. Tried some, you know, home remedies for to soothe the vocal cords and nothing worked. And so eventually I saw an ear, nose, throat, an ENT specialist because I didn't know what else to do because I'm using my voice to teach, to coach. Oh, yeah. Uh, everybody uses their voice every day, but I had the normal everyday things and the professional work-related things that I, if I couldn't talk, if I couldn't communicate, then all of those were on the sideline with no known time that they could come back. Mm-hmm. So the specialist looked at my throat, he put the scope down, it kind of went up through my nose and down through my throat. And it was one of the, it felt like a scene <laughs> off the movie Alien. If you remember that, where you're like, your whole, this tentacle is kind of coming into your body and you're like, this is not fun. But what he showed up on a screen was a couple of nodules in my throat. And he said, you know, Alan, just know this is common in the sense of people who overuse their voice and kind of abuse their voice from using it too much. And so these nodules are there. The only way that you're going to get your voice back is surgery. And he set a course out for that. But it was a few months from when I saw him because of the schedule that he was on. So I'm thinking, man, this is going to continue for months. Mm. And just have to kind of whisper and try to get through the day. And so... I did. And 
the day finally gets closer and it's the weekend before the surgery and I'm out working on my yard and I just sense God asked me a question. And the question, Brian, was, Alan, do you want story one or story two? I wasn't really thinking about my vocal cords at that particular moment. I was just thinking about the yard work and it was a hot day. And so I know enough to when God asks a question, it's an invitation into conversation, especially when you don't know what those terms mean or don't quite know where he's wanting to take you. And I didn't know what he meant by story one or story two. It felt a little like a game show. You know, <laughs> do you want to choose door number one or door number two, but you don't know what, have any idea what's behind either one. And so I sat down in the yard on a rock and just started asking God, what what do you mean story one or story two? And quickly it became clear God was conveying with your voice, if you want to just go through with the plan procedure, that's fine. Like do that and see what happens. That's story two. That's story two because it's the story that the world follows, which is if there's a financial problem they see a financial analyst. And if they have a problem with their car, they go to the mechanic. And if you have a health problem, you go to a doctor. And it's just the normal path that doesn't have to necessarily involve God at all, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, you know, whether you're agnostic, whether you're a believer, it's just what you do. Or he said, step into story one. And story one is cancel the procedure and watch me. There's no guarantee story one other than my presence. And so I sat there for quite a while and just let that sink in. And everything in me, Brian, wanted to go with story two, honestly, because I mean, I've been waiting for months, felt like the simple, sure thing to get my, this guy's done hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of these procedures. So, okay, it's only now two days away from when I'm supposed to be doing this. So I really wanted story number two. Just for context's sake, you've been waiting two months and then two days before your scheduled surgery. The Lord invites you into taking this step of faith into story one. Wow. I can understand the consternation now. Yeah. And God wasn't against or opposed to story two. And it wasn't like him warning me or ordering me, you know, don't do this. It was your choice. You know, I'm giving you a choice. So I realized after a few hours, I just can't not choose story one because I can't bear to not know what that story is that God's inviting me into. And if I choose story two, my assumption is everything will go fine. And, you know, through it was basically after the procedure within a week or two, you'd if everything went right, you'd start to have your full voice back. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, you know, I know that path. At least I think I do. I don't know at all what this other path will be, but I can't stand not knowing what this would be that God says, here it is. Would you want to come with no guarantees but me? Wow. I ultimately chose story one. Later that day, decided that next morning I call the ENT office to cancel. And even then, Brian, like, even in the canceling, like everything in me is like, I take, I just can't tell the front desk person why <laughs> I'm canceling. I'm going to appear so bizarre if I try to tell her. The reason why is because God told me yeah. I could have a story one and, you know, <laughs> on and on. 
And so it's so much simpler just to make up something or just postpone it. But you, I know I'm really not going to go back. And But I felt God saying, no, just tell her what's happening. And so it started this journey for me. And of course, I don't hardly have my voice at that time still. And so I'm struggling to use it to tell her. And she listened and was like, okay, well, when you you know, decide that you'd like your voice back, just call us back and we'll reschedule. It'll probably be another 60, 90 days back in, but okay. She was polite and it was kind, but it also, it was awkward. And so I cancel it. And the day of the surgery comes when it would have been the next day. And I knew this is like a dividing fork in a road, you know, a path Mm -hmm. in the woods, like everything of this day forward is different because I chose story one in terms of what I'm doing today, in terms of what will happen after today, in terms of my voice. And so that whole day went by. I obviously didn't go to surgery and nothing remarkable happened at all. (laughs) Like it was the most normal day. I didn't really hear anything from God. I didn't really since any new promise or direction. So I went through the day. Then the next day came and nothing really. It was a normal day. I didn't sense God giving me anything new on, hey, well done, or here's the next step, or okay, now I'll tell you the whole story. Yeah. And so that's when doubt can really start to get in. Did I even hear God say that? Did, mm-hmm. Like, what am I doing? Why did I give the sure thing up? for this unknown who knows what. Let me seize on that, Alan. Yes. Why did I give up the sure thing for who knows what? I think that's just the crux of faith, right? It is. I mean, we want God to come through. We want to live a robust faith, like the lives of the men and women we read about in Scripture. And yet, we also want kind of what we want when we want it, And we live in this microwave, immediate gratification, immediate everything. You want an answer, you Google it, you've got it. You know, you want to talk to somebody across the world, you push a button, you're doing it. And so it's really hard to say, I do want this life of wild faith. And yet I need this thing to work. And there's an expert. And so surely God will just work through the expert. Let's kind of move on. And by the way, I say this in the book, but I, this is not, not about it's more right to not have surgery or choose this option or that option. The whole thing is when God invites us into a story, do we follow him? And this is the particular story he invited me into. And he invites his sons and daughters into all kind of different stories. And so the story somebody else may be in is they are trying to avoid a doctrine. You know, story one for them, God would say, is actually now's the time to go for this operation or procedure. And so the whole question is, will we walk with God into the unknown with no guarantees except his presence? And so here I am waking up now on the third full day of not knowing anything. And I had really, by that point, kind of wrestled to the ground in my own mind. Okay, God, I release you from any outcome that I have assumed or expected. I'm going to go into this fully with you and you don't have to return my voice. And if in two months you say now schedule the surgery and let the doctor do what he does, and that's the story one path. Okay. Mm. I release you from any of my expectations of how it has to be. And that third morning, full morning, I wake up and I 
say hi to my wife and almost fell out of the bed because my full voice was back. It wasn't <laughs> gradual. It wasn't partial. It wasn't a hint better, but it was a hundred percent booming, strong, full. And I hadn't done anything, you know, other than cancel the procedure and just see what God had planned. And it, and it came back so much stronger, faster than I would have fathomed. And that was about two years ago. And I've done a lot of speaking and a lot of use of my voice since then. And it's been a hundred percent since then, which according to what the doctors were saying would be impossible wow. without the procedure. And so it was the start even better than getting my voice back. And I really mean that it was the start of a new way for me of seeing all of life, which is if story two isn't the original story, then, and there is a story one, what happened to it? Where did it go? And why aren't we all living in it as believers? And how do we get it back? And that was the catalyst or the spark that led to me being on that journey, me writing about it in the Eden option. And God continued to take me deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole Brian of now let's look at what happened to story one. Mm -hmm. Let's look at what can be regained from that lost story and how we can step into it because we don't get story one by being a believer. We don't get story one just because we say, well, yeah, I believe in God. So I am in that story automatically, I guess, because the thing is, you know, you, you just look at Adam and Eve, look at scripture and when Adam and Eve, chose another direction than God when they chose this tree of knowledge over the tree of life. And that became their story. They didn't quit believing in God. Like the first thing they did was hide from God. Yeah. Right. So you don't hide from someone you don't believe in. What we see is, oh, well, Adam and Eve believed in God before the fall in paradise, when they were face to face and walked with him in the cool of the day. And they believed in him even after they chose the wrong tree and even after they were escorted out of the garden. So they were believers before and after. Scripture talks about even the demons believe and tremble. Mm -hmm. And so belief is good. It's necessary. We need it. And there's more than just belief. There's actually seeing life through the lens of how God made it to be relationally and how do we live in that story. And we don't just get that automatically. We yeah. have to choose it. Yes. And you made a choice the day before your voice came back to fully surrender the outcome. Yes. I'm going to read a quote from your book. You said, he, that is God, values intimacy over productivity, relationship over accomplishments, what is done in your own strength ultimately comes to nothing, but what is done in union with God has the power to transcend you and ripple far beyond this moment in time. We could camp out there for a long time, Alan. And then you also indicated intimacy with God always precedes impact for God. Let's kind of dive into that intimacy, which I think you were going there, is like the key to everything with respect to moving into the whole relationship he's created for us in story number one, correct? Right. It's the way 
the story began. So, you know, you go into, well, I mean, creation itself was intimacy within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Creation happened. We read in Genesis, you know, about God creating in the different days. And then in John, we see the Genesis creation from another perspective. And we read how, talking about Jesus as the Word, in and through him, everything was created and holds together in mm-hmm. and through him. And so, oh, well, we rarely hear or talk about in church or Bible study or in our spiritual reading about Jesus's role at creation. And in Genesis 1-2, we read that the Holy Spirit was hovering over this empty, murky darkness, chaos, and from that, creation begins. And so, creation itself was an act of continued intimacy and birthing and new. And then in Eden, when God creates and breathes into Adam, that's a very intimate act. You're breathing life into what before was dirt, the ground. And then the way Eve is brought in is an intimate act from Adam through God. And so you start to see the intimacy from the very beginning. And then we don't know how long they were in that period of paradise. Mm-hmm. Like the way we hear it talked about a lot is, well, it's creation in the fall. And it's like within that, we don't even hear about the paradise that was the whole beauty and invitation before the fall. We don't know how long that period went, but clearly long enough for God to father Adam and Eve, teach them how to talk, what words meant, what the story they were in was. Like he shepherded them in a way that a good father would a son or daughter. Mm -hmm. And so we lose sight of the whole period that was paradise, which is what we were intended for and what he wants us to get back to. And I think that's a key point because there's intimacy in that story. You know, when we jump to the fall, then it starts to feel like the story is we blow it and there's judgment. And now, boy, we're just sinners trying to appease God or hoping that God will want us again. But when we think about paradise, we think about the intimacy. And a good friend of mine, Kara Murphy, wrote a book called The Inquisitive Christ. And one of the quotes she has that I put in my book is, the earliest vision their eyes, Adam and Eve's eyes beheld, was not one another. Upon humanity's awakening, they first saw the glad smile of God. And Brian, that's the intimacy that we're talking about here. And so we live in a culture that we want impact for God. We want impact in our own life. We want to see results. We want to impact the world for Christ. But the problem is, in general, as people try to do that, they're exhausted, burnout, overwhelmed. They don't feel much of God in their own lives. And so whether they're leading a crusade or whether it's a revival or whether it's a Bible study or whether it's their own family, the desire is good, but you just have to take it back to the trees in the garden, like the tree of good and evil, the tree of knowledge. That's kind of the tree of impact. You want to be like God, then this is your ticket. Eat of this tree and then you'll be like God. Then you can get things done. Then you can build that tower of Babel really quick. Then you can have this mighty impact. But 
The only problem is it's without God. Or you can have the tree of intimacy, the tree of life with God, and you can go at his pace and his rhythm, and you can see the impact through that. And that's really a little bit of like what's behind or beneath that quote that you read about intimacy and impact. We have to start with intimacy because if we don't have that, the impact we're having isn't going to produce the fruit we want it to produce, which is for others to have intimacy with God. You know, and speaking of that whole scenario, you had a mentor, John Moorhead, that you mentioned in your book who you are undone by a very simple question he asked you. Can you kind of set up the context for that question and what ultimately happened as a result of that particular question? Yeah, absolutely. It was just a simple conversation we were having, and he was about 20 years older than me. He's since gone to the kingdom, and so I don't get to talk to him every day like like I used to. But a mentor who was just sitting there listening to me, and this is one of our earlier conversations. So I was kind of a young buck, and I was getting a lot done, making a big impact, you know, to use words that we just talked about. And just super busy and also super burnt out. And we were having this conversation at a camp that, that we were at. And I was talking to him about, John, yeah, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And he was just kind of nodding his head and smiling. And he paused it a second and he said, wow, Alan, you know, that's quite a bit of stuff. And have you ever considered that hurry is an attitude? And I kind of looked at him like, what are you talking about? And he smiled. It was a very kind conversation, but he said, no, I'm serious. Hurry is an attitude that comes from an agreement with a lie that God expects more of us than we can do each day. And that full sentence, hurry is an attitude that comes from an agreement with a lie that God expects more of us than we can do each day. Well, that started to rock my world. Like I probably look like a deer in the headlights at that moment. Because I hadn't really ever thought that, you mean, hurry, like a hurried life, if you're wanting to be productive, get things done, make an impact, that hurry isn't a necessity or isn't inevitable, but it's an attitude. And if it's an attitude, well, I know I can change my attitude. Then we went into Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I love the messages translation of this passage. Jesus is saying, are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In other words, the rest, the ease, the true life that I have created you for, come with me. There's the intimacy part. Come with me, get away with me. And what's the fruit of that? You'll recover your life. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so that was the message that came from my friend, John, through those words that really tied back to Jesus's invitation in Matthew. And that's one of the four things in the book I talk about that that we can reclaim that Adam and Eve left and lost in their story in Eden, but Eden rest, we were made 
not to be running on empty, not to see who can get the most things done in a day, not to evaluate the success of our day by the things we can check off our list or trying to get other people's approval or trying to just survive. Like that's not God's filter for how we should see our days here on earth. Burnt out people have a hard time inviting other people into real life because it's like the most, you know, out of condition, out of shape person in the world trying to sign people up for his or her (laughs) coaching on physical fitness. And you're just like, well, I want to be physically fit. I just don't believe you're the source for that. And how are we the source of life and invitation to life for others when we seem to have so little life in us. And so that's what we're talking about here. The ability to not live a hurried life to rest. That is one of the four things in the book of we actually can get that back and we can get it back now if we want to shift from story two to story one. There's one more quote that I want to read, and it speaks to the big overarching question about purpose. Why was I born? Why am I in this earth at this time? And you say, if you're wondering when to use the voice God has given you, consider this. He could have designated your time on earth to be decades or even centuries ago, but he chose now for such a time as this. And I've heard for such a time as this, but not in that context. That is brilliant. Share a little bit more about that. Right. Well, I totally believe that from scripture and from just the way God has created the world that we are here now because now is our time. It's purposeful. It is like any good storyteller, and God is the best storyteller. He created story. Well, you bring in characters at the right moment for the story to progress and to be things to happen and be fulfilled. So good. And that's what he's done with our lives. But, you know, that verse in Esther, Esther 4.14, talks about, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but if you remain silent, I'll find somebody else to do what needs to be done. In other words, it's a beautiful invitation. We have been brought to this moment for a specific purpose, and the enemy always tries to make us think it's not our time. We aren't qualified. And here's the thing. We're actually not qualified in one sense, and we're fully ready because we're not qualified because it's not up to us in our own strength, and it's not up to our brilliance to be ready. So we're not fully qualified in our own strength to do much of anything. Scripture says, you know, the vine and the branches, without me, you can do nothing. Right on. In our own strength, we're sure not qualified. But with God, we're fully ready for the moment in time that he has put us in and given us an ability to engage with others and to have a voice and to speak. And there's this joke that I love that that I think— reveals how we think we're never quite supposed to be truly part of the story or we have this doubt of self. And the joke is just like two sentences, but a priest, a minister, and a rabbit walk into a bar. The rabbit turns to the priest and the minister and says, I think I might be a typo. (laughs) And that is how a lot of us feel. Like we are a rabbit that thinks we're supposed to be a rabbi and we're just a typo. Yeah. You know, in our own story, like, I don't think I'm supposed to be a part of this or I'm not qualified or it's a mistake that yeah. I'm in, even in this story. But that's not how God made us. That's not how he made the story one life to work. And the book goes into a lot of detail on this, but 
The enemy always tries to get us to doubt God's voice from Eden on. He tries to get us to give more importance or gravity to his voice, the doubt, the fear, the inadequacy that he tries to make us feel the shame, and he tries to silence our voice. So doubt God's voice, listen to his voice, and silence our voice, all tied to voices but when we start going, yeah, I don't have anything to offer. Yeah, I'm, you know, that would have been great in my 20s, but I'm too old now. Or I would never be able to step into this thing. Well, what we're really saying is we're doubting God's ability to tell the best story through our lives. And so voice comes into that. And if Adam and Eve had not listened to the enemy's voice, the serpent's voice in the garden, but had gone back to God and said, hey, there's this other voice telling us these things that don't sound like the voice that created us. Will you talk to us, Father? Yeah. Like if that had happened, everything could have played out differently. And so voice is an, an amazing thing. The voice of God in our lives, that was his voice that told me, do you want story one or story two? Mm-hmm. Like he intimately, actively uses his voice to tell us who we are, to shape our story, to invite us into a better story. And the enemy's voice is there as well, trying to tell us, look, you would be a fool. Like even after, and I go into this in the book for a few pages, but even after I got my voice back and I was talking to other believers about it, they didn't really want to engage in the conversation much. And the reason why I think was because it made them super uncomfortable because it didn't fit the story two version of how God worked. The story two version is not the true version of God, but it's kind of a God's our rescue plan if everything else fails. But you know what? In the meantime, he's given us brains and and strength and other humans to do things for us. And so let's not bother God because he may not come through anyway. Let's kind of just make things happen the best we can. And if we really hit a dead end, if we're really driving off the cliff, well, wow, let's pray quick and fast. But otherwise, we can figure it out. That's the story two version, even with believers, of how life and how God works. And I think that when we go into story one again, that voice of God is saying things that are counterintuitive and disruptive, right? Yeah. To our normal, what we call normal, but normal isn't original. So story two feels normal to us, but it's not reality. It's not original. It's not what we were originally made for. It's just what we were born into and we think is the way things work. How can people find out more about you, Alan, and pick up your books? Well, the best way, if you want to find the book, it's on Amazon. It's called The Eden Option, or you can look it up by my name, Alan Arnold. And in addition to that, I have a website that is with W-I-T-H, Alan, A-L-L-E-N.com. And you can sign up there for free daily readings. Each of the readings are like five sentences, 10 sentences, a paragraph. You can read it in 30 seconds. It's Monday through Friday that'll come to you by email when you sign up. But the whole purpose of those is about God and creativity. And when I say creativity, I mean, how do you pursue the things that make your heart come alive, your job, your family, your coaching, your you know role as a homemaker? How do you pursue those things that you've been given a talent for and an interest in actively and intimately with God? 
So I'd love for people to go onto the site. You just can sign up for the daily readings. And it's meant to be a way to keep people in story one rather than story two on a day-to-day, just kind of a quick thought, a quick idea, a quick reminder of your identity in Christ. Those are the best ways people can stay in touch with me. And I really do think there's not much more that's important once you have said, yes, I accept Jesus into my heart. Yes, I believe there's not much more importance after that than making sure you're in the right story mm-hmm. because you can be saved and stuck in story too and not have a lot of impact and not see a lot of miraculous things happen or be part of things that really transform your community, your church, your school, your world, your art. Because why? Well, you're a believer. You're just stuck in story two. You're still living in Ecclesiastes when God's invitation is, no, come back with me to the things I want to give you that I had for Adam and Eve and they walked away from. But I still have those gifts. I still have those things. You can rest in me. You can get your voice back. You can discover what you were created to be. And that's the invitation of the Eden option. As we finish, Alan, we'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Yes. So, Father, we right now, every voice hearing this, one that you have gotten this conversation to, right now, I pray for each person. I pray that everyone hearing this would say yes to the invitation of story one. They don't have to know what that fully means. They don't have to have any guarantee other than you, God. They get you and they get the true story. And so I just pray everyone listening would say, yes, God, I want story one and I will enter into that with you. The story where you're at the epicenter of every choice I make, every situation I'm in, every dream I have. I want to be in that story together with you and know that you will let that story play out in a way that has been really your dream since before time began. And so, God, we just commit everyone and everything about this conversation to you. And we say yes, wherever you are asking us to be, to go, to do, to see life in new ways, to open our eyes, we say yes. And we go into that with excitement because we're born for such a moment as this. Everyone listening, we're all in this moment right now. We're not from the 13th century, the 2nd century. We're not from the early days of creation. We are here right now, and you have given us this moment now for a purpose. And so we say yes, and God, we trust you, and we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Such an honor to have you back on the show and hear your story again. Thank you, Brian. It's always just a blast to talk to you and to have these kind of conversations. So thank you for inviting me on and talking to me about the story one option we have. Absolutely. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.